0: Let's read verses 14 through 21 of chapter 3 of Ephesians, and then we'll get into more depths of the study. For this reason, Paul is speaking here, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So as we study the scriptures here and we pick right back up here, Having stated uh, in the previous chapters, as you know, there's a breakup in the Ephesians, the first three chapters really talks about the position as children of God, the inherencies, the riches, the blessings that come from being a child of God. There's blessings that are poured out upon you and I. And in chapters 4, and we move in 4, 5, and 6, we're going to see the application, the practical application. How do you live this life of a Christianity out in a practical life? And, and Paul is going to outline the key. So hang on to yourselves as, as you read ahead in chapters 4, 5, and 6. Don't let that scare you coming back because you want to hear the whole counsel of God. Just don't talk about how God loves you, but not learn how he wants you to live as a child of God so don't avoid those things and the scriptures that's why we don't do topical because it's easy to talk about the love of God that's easy it's just talking about the hard things that we need to hear that God wants to use like a surgical precision precision and that really fine cutting to get down to the things that he's trying to do in your life to get rid of the things that are not of him and allow things and room for the things of him to move into your life so we'll move forward in through chapters 4, 5, 6. Ooh, he, at the very end, we know the battle, the war that happens, the spiritual warfare. And he, and he teaches us how to deal with the spiritual warfare that is all around us. So you don't want to miss that one either. But here we talks in the first few chapters that positionally of between the Gentiles the Jewish believers and the fact that there is no, when you're in the child of God, you're in the, the church body, there is this one new man, and you saw that in chapter 2, verse 15. There's one new man. There's not segregation, not separation in the body of Christ. There is one body, there is one, uh, brothers and sisters, there's unity here. And this, this, this new, one new man is the body of Christ. And Paul now prayed that here, as we see in verses 14 through, uh, through 19 and going into 21, it's a prayer that he started off, if you remember in chapter 3, verse 1, he started the very first beginning of verse 1 of 3, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. And he paused, he stopped, and then he had to give that dissertation or the, the specifics about the mystery of the one body, that unity of the Jews and the Gentiles, the one new man. But here in verse 14, he picks back up, and he actually now prays. He writes down the prayer. God made sure the prayer is written down here for you and I, and it's very important that we actually understand what that prayer is saying. Because Paul desired that we might genuinely know and experience Christ's love and show it toward each other. There's one thing about God, I know you love me, but now you have to understand it's not about just you, but how God wants to work through you to love others. That's our two great commandments, love God and love others. It's very simple. And that work that the Holy Spirit wants to do through in and through you has to come and mature. It's called growth. It's maturity in your Christian faith. And it's important to note that both these prayers we saw in Ephesians 1, chapter 1, if you remember that prayer. And then the prayer here in chapter 3. Even in his other uh, prison of uh, prayers, if you look in uh, Philippians chapter 1 and also Colossians chapter 1, you will see that those prayers were all about the inner man. About what he's doing and wants to do within you. It's not about your outward of what you look like outwardly. That's where we spend most of our time just adorning and figuring out what we're going to look like and smell like and all these outwardly that people see. But what God wants to do is start with the inner man. He wants to do a work in your life to change and mold and shape you to that godliness, that, he, that, that Christ-likeness that will come, and then it will pour out from your life, your outwardly, your, your countenance, your, 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 your actions, your words, your, your, your how you carry yourself and where you go and who you Those things will come as he does an inner work in you that his love dominates in your life, Then his love, his, his spirit's going to pour out from your life, this love that's going to touch the lives of other people. Because it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. And what matters is what God sees is what he's doing and what you are in the inner man. That's what's the most important. Now, if you notice in these, these prayers that Paul talks about this spiritual condition of the inner man, not the material needs. His prayers are not about the material and physical needs. And there's nothing wrong with praying and asking God about the physical and material things in life. He says to come to him about all things. But that's not where our dominance is in regards to our prayers. In, the mat- in maturity, that's where our prayers tend to be. God, I want this. God, I want that. God, is this. And it's like a little bell. God, come get this for me. Oh, God, I want this for, you know, from you. And you, it's like a little bellhop. You ring your bell every morning. I need this. And then you don't talk to him until you're ready to have some next meal. Oh, God, I need to get this. Oh, God, my, I, I, I'm in trouble. I shouldn't have said that to my wife. But can you come help this situation? You know, he's not a bellhop at your beck and call. What he wants is a, a, this relationship to be so intimate that you talk to him about all things. About all situations. Yes, physical and material things, but really, God, do a change in me. What it needs to change in my life so that it reflects more of you and less of me. More of you and less of the world. More of you than being controlled by the, the darkness that surrounds my life. As Paul has talked about, what can influence us. But here we see Paul was about to pray here, obviously in verse 1 of chapter 3, and he finally here in this part of this letter here, and we call verse 14, he says, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you have to sit there and say, okay, for this reason, what was the reason? Well, if you go back and you look at all the chapters 1 and 2 and and certainly the first part of 3, I I, I drew attention on verse 12 of chapter 3 where he says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Paul's saying, I have boldness. I have I have this this faith that God has given me. I can boldly and have access with confidence that God and my relationship with Him is going to hear my prayers. That He wants to hear my prayers. He wants to hear my voice. He wants me to spend time with him. And so Paul says, he is in his prayer here, I now, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you picture this? He's sitting in a Roman prison, chained to a warrior, a Roman guard here, and he gets on his knees and starts praying. Can you imagine if you were that guard? The effects that it would have on the lives. And we know in the scriptures that he led many, even the men, you know many of those guards became uh, became born again. Cornelius' house was changed because of the God took him into this prison and while he was in there, every six hours changing over the guards and there he is, Paul, constantly praying to his heavenly father. The effects that it must have had on the lives of the people that was listening and hearing there in the prisons. But he bows his knee to the father. Now the first thing we have to know is the fact that he was bowing his knee. The Bible nowhere commands any special posture for prayer. But Paul's kneeling in prayer is one of the several positions in praying that we see in the scriptures. You can be standing, you can be kneeling, you can be laying prostrated right out. You can be sitting in the car as you're praying. I highly recommend that you do not try to stand up or lay down or prostrate within your car as you're driving. And then I get questions like, Pastor, do you have to close your eyes or can you leave your eyes open while you are praying? I highly recommend you keep your eyes open at all times while you're praying in the car. We close the eyes because we don't want to be distracted. We're easily distracted by the things. But imagine you can stand in your backyard and look at this. As we sang today, the skies are like God's Paintings and his artwork across the sky, and you just start talking to him about the things you're seeing and the marvelous creation around you. So it doesn't matter if you're on your knees or if you're sitting or standing or laying. That doesn't matter. It's the inner heart. It's the will. It's the it's the 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 heart issue. the, The the will that is what matters. Is your heart bowed to the will of God? Or do you sit there and say, God, I'm here to talk to you here. I hope you're listening to me. I'll even get on my knees to try to influence you to get me to listen to me. See, you're not going to manipulate God. He knows your heart. What you need to do is come with the right heart, with the attitude and say, God, I don't want my will be done, but your will be done as in heaven. God, this is the situation. You know all things. I know you're in control. Nothing touches my life unless it's been allowed by you. So there's a purpose and a reason for the situation I'm at hand. God, what do I do? How do you want me to respond? How do you want me to think? How do I love that person even though they want to take my head off and ruin my life? God, how do I love them? How do I show kindness to that person? I need you, God, because I know I can't do it on my own. I need you to work through my life. Give me the strength to just shut my mouth and not say another (laughs) word and not respond. God help me. That's the heart. That's the inner man, the inner woman that God is looking for in the time of prayer. As Paul says here, he bows his knee. See, remember... Abraham stood before the Lord when he prayed for Sodom in Genesis 18. Remember, Solomon was stood when he prayed to dedicate the temple. David sat before the Lord in 1 Chronicles 17 when he prayed about the future of his kingdom. And even J- Jesus himself fell on his face when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. It is through prayer That we lay hold of God's riches that enables us to live a life that is pleasing to God. And it allows and enables us to behave like Christians and battle against the enemy, those principalities and the powers that we fight against. We don't fight against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers that come against God enables through prayer enables us to do the work and to be able to deal with these things in our daily life as a Christian. If you are out there as my brothers and sisters today and you are taking on the heaviness of this world and the things that come against you and you do it in your own understanding, your own mindset, your own strength, it's only a matter of time you're going to buckle. And you're going to be completely depleted and fall. You must go and talk to God about these things. I, I can't encourage you enough. Examine what you're saying. You're more than likely talking to yourself versus talking to God. You must learn to talk It's so critical because prayer is the stepping stone into that that intimate relationship from, with God that helps you to hear from God, to do what he's called you to do. And As someone asked me, what would you spend more time, hindsight, what would you do the most? Okay, and that is pray more. I heard even Billy Graham even say that in one of someone's teaching. Billy Graham said, what would you do at the end of your life? He says, I would pray more. Pray. Now note, Paul's prayer was addressed to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't talking to himself, and he wasn't talking to others. He wasn't sitting there, let me tell you what's going on in my life on Facebook. Let me tell you what's going on in my life in Instagram. No, no. God wants you to tell everything that's going on in your life to him directly. That's where it starts. That's what he wants. But notice the fact that in the Bible, prayer is addressed to the Father through the Son and in the Spirit. A communication relationship with the, the Godhead. And in here in verse 15, he continues, for whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So Paul states here the whole family in heaven and earth is named. After a divine father, the heavenly father, that is who we come to. And the word word family can be translated as fatherhood. So every fatherhood, that relationship of fatherhood in heaven and on earth gets its origin from the heavenly father himself. It's a relationship, it's an understanding. And so we see here in Paul's prayer here, now we see these four requests that he lays out for us here in these next few verses here. And he lays out these four requests in these, this prayer. But we must not look at these individual requests as individual requests, but as a continuum or growth or a depthness of understanding. Like a depth finder. You go to the first depth. You see this. And then all of a sudden you go deeper. And you get deeper. And, and it's the next level. And the next level. And we're going to see Paul taking us as these one connecting depth. Or maturing within our faith or our, our, our prayer as he outlines this. And we're going to see this strength. This, this depth. This comprehension. This fullness. These four things as Paul outlines this here. And it starts with verse 16. And he says, That. Circle that. It's also, if you look at the original angle, it could be so that. That's what the translation of that word is. So that or then. Right? So if we sit here, he says, with the whole family in heaven and earth, we come to in our knees, we come to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that or then he, God, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That's Paul's first request for them there in the the believers in, in Ephesus, this letter. It speaks to us as well today that the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a person is evidence of salvation. We know that in Romans 8 verse 9. But the power of the Spirit in enablement for Christian living, it is the power, this power that Paul desires for his readers. He says, for you to start this relationship, to be a Christian, to live this Christian life out, my prayer for you is that you allow the Holy Spirit that's present in you, that sealed you when you became a born-again believer. We know that. We see that in the beginning when he he declares and writes this letter to the believers in Ephesus. He says, what it starts with is the Holy Spirit working in your life. The Holy Spirit doing a work, He's speaking to you in your life, your inner man. And when you have that happen, even in Acts 1 8, he says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The power of the Holy Spirit working through a believer. That is evidence that the Holy Spirit is not grieved, it is not restricted, but moving through a Christian life by the fact that you become a witness, a light, a salt into the world. That is how you know you're saved. Jesus performed his ministry on earth in, in the power of the Spirit. He, had, he relied upon the Holy Spirit. We see that in Luke 4.1. Luke 4.14, Acts 10.38. And so this same power is given to you and I to live the Christian life. And this is the only resource we have as a Christian to, have a, to live out a Christian living today. Apart from the Spirit of God, you cannot and as you read the book of Acts, you see the importance of the Holy Spirit. It's almost like 59 times that the Holy Spirit is referenced within the book of Acts. And the empowerment, the, 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 the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of you to do that. You've heard me say it so many times. You can have a toaster. You look at the toaster. Oh, it's a great toaster. Oh, William Sonoma toaster. Oh, it looks beautiful. It's beautiful. I, I look at my William Sonoma. It's a, it's, it's awesome. But if it's not plugged in and doesn't have the power, it's worthless. You can look great. You can smell like a Christian. You look like a Christian. You walk like a Christian. But that's outwardly. The question is, Are you have the Holy Spirit empowering you to walk like a Christian? To live out like a Christian? To speak? To to, to respond? to, To do the things that God's called you to do? That's the question that we must ask. That's what Paul is saying to these people. So Christ returned to glory and sent the Holy Spirit from heaven to indwell and empower his people. So he said to his disciples, oh, it's best for me to go. Because when I go, the Holy Spirit will be coming. And then you'll be empowered to do the things that I'm calling you to do. It's not necessary for us to work something up in the Spirit. The power has to be sent down. How marvelous that God does not give the Spirit's power to us out of His riches. But according, as you see Paul write, according to the riches of His glory. Which is far greater. I've heard it said so many times in many teachings... If I am a billionaire and I give you $10, I have given you out of my riches. But if I give you a million dollars of the billion, I have given to you according to my riches. The first is a portion. The second is a proportion. You and I want a proportion of God's riches. Not just some little portion. And so many of us at times live and we're just so thankful for that little portion. Because that's all we want of of God. But what we want is a portion. A proportion of God pouring out his riches on our lives. To do the things we want to do. We don't want any restrictions of what God has. We want it to be poured out through all aspects of our lives. Not just on Sundays, not just when we get together with some fellowship with other believers, but anywhere and everywhere you go, you want God's riches and blessings to be poured out. And this power is available for the inner man. This means that the spiritual part of man where God dwells and works within a person. You want him to do that work. The inner man of the lost sinner we saw in Ephesians 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verse 1. That lost man has a dead spirit. He's a dead within, in, 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 lost sinner and dead. But it becomes alive when Christ is invited into their life and they're born again. Are you born again today? Are you alive in the spirit today, I ask you today? But if you're not, today's the day of your salvation if you will just surrender your life to Jesus Christ and he will come in and dwell with you and empower you for eternity. The outer man is perishing. Oh, how I feel that after a few work days. (laughs) This body is perishing. Oh, every day I feel the, the outer man perishing. But the inner man can be renewed spiritually in spite of the outward physical decay. You can see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. The body may deteriorate, but the inner man is growing stronger and stronger and stronger. It's only a matter of time because my blessed and your blessed hope is the fact that we're going to get a new body when we get to heaven. So amen. I don't care about the outward. It's all about the inward, the inner man. So what does it mean to have the Holy Spirit empower the inner man? It means that our spiritual faculties are controlled by God. And we are exercising them and growing in the word. We see that in Hebrews chapter 5 verses 12 through 14. So if you're growing in his word and you're maturing and growing and you're changing by that, then you know that God, the Holy Spirit, is empowering and working in your inner man. There's change taking place. You can't get credit for it. You know God is doing the work and people are just witnessing and watching and seeing that take place and they're actually amazed that (laughs) that there's a change in your life. And it is only when we yield to the Holy Spirit and let Him control the inner man that we succeed in living to the glory of God. There is no other way. And we do that by feeding our spirit. And it's through prayer. It's through the the godly fellowship with other believers. It's through the studying of the Word of God. And it's through the obedience, the loving obedience to do what God calls you to do, which is serving Him. If you pray and if you will stay in fellowship and if you stay in the word and study the word of God and hear from him and study it and understand it and apply it and you go and you allow God to use you to serve him wherever and however he calls you because he has a calling in your life. You are going to see that you, the inner man, the inner woman is strengthened and be able to live this Christian life because it will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, now if you do this, as you grow, you're going to see Paul's next key point of the prayer. That is, that or so that then Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So now we see the next one. That it's going to be, yes, the Holy Spirit's working in your life. Now Christ, you see the Godhead coming here, the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then the third one is that then, or so then, or so that, that, you being rooted and grounded in love. So we're going deeper and deeper and deeper as God is doing a work in one's person's life. Three verbs that we see here in Paul's prayer here in verse 17 alone. Three pictures conveying the idea of spiritual depth within a Christian believer. They are hidden in these three verbs. Look at these. Dwell. The verb dwell literally means to settle in or feel at home. In the result of this, when Jesus Christ feels at home in your life, He's dwelling in your life. The result of this is that through faith, Christ may dwell in believers' hearts, that is, their whole personalities is permeated by Christ. You know the scripture. You should be the same personality, the same person, regardless of where you are in your life for that day. You're not one way when you first wake up. And then there's another way when you get to work, and there's another way when you're talking to a, a, a sister of the Lord on the phone, and there's not another way where you're then t- t- you're doing your little your uh, mass media kinds of stuff. You are the same. Your personality should be the same of who you are, and it should be a reflection of a Christ likeness. So, we want to go deeper. We want the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. We want to now see Christ dwell within our, feel at home within our lives, that we are who we are. We're, who we are is what God is doing in and through our lives. And people see that dwelling. Dwelling refers not to the beginning of Christ indwelling at the moment of salvation. That already happened. We already see that we're talking about believers here. But instead, it denotes the desire that, that Christ may literally be at home. At the very center of the depth, the deeply dwelling within a believer's lives. It's who they are. That when you meet someone, you're going to say, there's something about them that you recognize. Because your spirit speaks to their spirit and you just know you're talking to a believer. It's happened countless, countless times. And I'm sure you have experienced the same. Where you just know the Spirit of God is saying, that is a brother or that is a sister in the Lord. And you may even never even have words. And I've had, you've heard me talk many times, how we, I, I, I love when that happens, I immediately go out of my way to go, are you a believer? Because I just, I want to know how God moves. And every time has been so right on. And they'll go, yes, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you too? I don't even remember the names. You know, it happens when you're in the airports and you're happy, and when you're traveling. I just love when God reveals when you're talking to a person that God is dwelling within their life and it permeates where you recognize that as a believer. They are to let Christ become the dominating factor in their attitudes and conduct. When that happens, you know that God, Jesus Christ is dwelling within the believer, Paul says. And that's what Paul's praying. He's praying for a deeper experience with Christ, a deeper experience with his people. He yearns for Christ to settle in, feel at home in their hearts, not a surface relationship, not one you can take or leave depending on the situation and who's around. But he, we're talking about a dwelling within and it's such a deep fellowship, it does not matter the situation or people who are around. You cannot live without that presence of God. You feel empty. You feel dry. You feel lost. You feel confused. These things, you know, God, I want to go deeper. Something's not Right? And then he says, and he uses here in verse 17, another a verb, rooted. The verb rooted speaks to the tree which must get its roots deep into the soil. It must get so deep to get that nourishment and a stability in the root system for the structure that it's going to be supporting. And a Christian must have his spiritual roots deep in the love of God. If you go back, a perfect verse for this, for you to meditate. It was one of my favorite verses when I first got saved. And that is Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Nor stands in the path of sinners. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in a season whose leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. Those verses, I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, sustained me in my transition, my first six months to a year. Because that was my life. I'm always seeking counsel from the ungodly, always standing in the paths of sinners. I was one of the sinners. And I was always sitting around people who were scornful about these things and I didn't even understand those things. And then when you come to Christ and then your eyes are open, you're no longer blind to the things and you see what happens and you see what was surrounding you and the people that were surrounding you and all the, the things that you thought and counseled and meditated on and you realize how wicked that all was. Chasing wealth and riches. Chasing all the image of what you look like and what your abilities and capabilities are. The idols that fill your life. And you don't even realize how unstable you are. Until Christ comes in and dwells you and roots you. And then you realize oh, I need to have deep roots. My relationship, my love, my personal relationship with Christ has to go deeper. And that's what the scripture talks about. Go back and read today Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8, and you'll see it's a great commentary on the exact same topic. One of the most important questions a Christian can ask himself is, from what do I draw my nourishment And my stability from. Who am I listening to? What am I reading? Where do I go from and glean from? Because that will tell you. How deeply rooted in Christ you are. Or are not. And it's important we examine. And take examination in our lives. And see and find. Because if there is to be power in the Christian life there must be depth the roots must go deeper and deeper into the love of Christ and when that happens we see the third verb the verb grounded it's a construction or arch- uh, uh, architectural term it means to it refers to the foundation on which we build our life upon what do you build your life upon what is your foundation in your life I remember I had a flashback this week of just going back and, and remembering in, in the first church in California we were at. And, and God uh, blessed us and, and used us to be able to build a a, a a church from ground up. And I just remember working all, all these plans and working all these things and all the details and all this stuff. And it's like, is the ground foundation ever going to be completed? Because this is taking forever. We should have walls by now. We should have us. You know, a roof by now. We should be moving in here. And I'm always reminded, no, the foundation is what takes the longest in a person's life. It's the t- longest it takes for to build a building. The round, the things you don't even see that are taking place is underneath the ground. You don't even know there's plumbing and all these other things that, and iron everywhere and cement. We just don't realize the work that God is doing. And eventually we start seeing the fruit. We see the the structure coming. We see the strength that comes from someone's life. We see the structure of the building. We see the tree starting to grow and to have a foundation. Jesus told a story about two builders. One of whom was not solidly grounded in his foundation of life. We see that in Matthew 7 verses 24 through 29. Because one decided building their house on sand was good enough whereas the other one was building the house on solid rock and when the tests come and the tests will come when the challenges and the weather change and the, the, the things death and life things that are out of your control come the qu- will be very quickly understand who dwells within your life if you're rooted in your life in Christ and if your your solid foundation is upon the rock that you stand on, who is Jesus Christ, or is it based upon the things of the world and your own abilities? And it's through those tests that Paul's praying that the believers might have this deeper experience with Christ because only this deeper experience can sustain Sustain them through these severe trials that they would be facing there in Ephesus and are facing in Ephesus and throughout that known world of believers in that known world today. But that also applies to us today. The Holy Spirit speaks to us and says, Is God dwelling within you? Is Christ dwelling within you? Are you empowered by the Holy Spirit? Are you rooted? What are, you drawing, what are your roots drawing from in this nourishment? And are you grounded on the rock of Jesus Christ alone? Or are you okay with shifting sands so you can play your life however you want to play it? I assure you, my brothers and sisters, it's only a matter of time a trial will come and will take you off your, your sandy foundation, and you'll be rocked to your core. I encourage you today to come back and allow God to do a work in your life today so you're grounded. Go deeper. Go deeper. Go deeper. He says in verse 18, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints, which is the width and the length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. So we see here, Paul says, he, he dwells within you. He's He's, he's rooting within you. He's getting deep roots here established. There's a grounding that's taking place so that you would be able to comprehend. You would know. You would not only comprehend, you would know it, but apprehend. You'd be able to get your arms and a hold of the fact that Christ loves you. That he died for you. Not only did he died for you, but he lives and intercedes for you be actively interceding in heaven for you today that you would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge it's not something you can grasp your head around. you sit there and say, oh, why would God love me like this? Well, how could God love me like this? I, you struggle with that when you're, in a, when you're a new believer. Why would God go to the cross for this wicked sinner? But then it doesn't stop there. As you dwell and you're rooted and grounded, you are, 20, 30 years later, you're still going, God loves me. Why would he love me as such in blessing and as riches? And, and you, just, you just go deeper and you realize it's beyond your own knowledge of understanding what God loves you so. Paul is saying in these verses to the Ephesians here, meditate on God's love for you. you must, we must meditate on God's love for us. We must be reminded of God's love for us on a daily basis. It's impo- it is possible to understand something. But not really make it your own. Children are a perfect example. Who loves you? Jesus. Who, who built the ark? Jesus. Jesus. Everything's Jesus. Does Jesus love you? Yes, he does. I know it because the Bible tells me so. You know, they know the songs. But do they really know it at that young age yet? Do they really comprehend or apprehend the fact that truly they understand that Jesus Christ loved them? But let me give you a newsflash. I have met more children that understand that Jesus loves them than most adults to do. Because their childlike heart doesn't hinder the simplicity and understanding that God loves them. Adults sit there and say, how could God love me because I'm such a wicked man? because they haven't understand that even while we were still sinners Jesus loved you so much he went to the cross to die for those sins to set you free to have that relationship with him so he could dwell within him, your heart that you could be rooted and grounded in that trusting faith of him Paul says, I want you to know, I want you to experience the love of Christ. I want you to understand this is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about religion. And as a Christian, you and I do not have to worry about the resources or the inadequate spiritual resources that's available to you to live a life that's pleasing and honoring to him. He has unsurpassed riches, as we read earlier in the, the letter. Unsurpassed riches, the love of Christ is beyond passes knowledge of your simple knowledge. And so Paul prays for the spiritual strength, the spiritual depth that he would be able to apprehend and get hands around us to get our hands around all the resources of God's love and grace. And even in Philippians four thirteen says, "I." can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens me. Do you believe it, my brothers and sisters? But then he finishes up in verse 19 at the end there with another, another prayer request and that, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Not only are you dwelling As the Holy Spirit works in your life, you're you're rooted, you're grounded. It's beyond your own understanding, but God would take you to the next depth of level where it says, "There's all the fullness of God fills your life. There's no emptiness in your life because He fills your life with Him. It's not loneliness." There's times there's loneliness, but that can be changed by going deeper. There's not a sense of instability and I'm not sure what's going on in life and what's going to happen with my life and what's this and that. Go deeper. Get to the point where there's a fullness of Christ in you that those things don't shake you any longer. Go deeper. Because Paul says... Then you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God wants us to experience His fullness. This means the fullness of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you as a believer. The measure of His fullness is God Himself. We'll see in Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5. Positionally, we're complete in Him. We're saved. We're complete. We're all finished work. But practically, we're enjoying only the grace that we apprehend by faith. We must take steps of faith. That's how we will apprehend the fullness of God. And that's why he's telling these believing Jews, these believing Gentiles, these these children of God, these brothers and sisters in the Lord, that they need to understand and experience God's Moral excellence, this, this sense of understanding of the perfection and the love of Christ that brings these two opposing people for years and, and culturally, and, and every aspect of opposing and willing to kill each other. To, to, to see each other in such an inferior way, to say, no, 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 no. You're now, a, you're a children of God. You're, there's a oneness, a one man, a one body. You're fullness. This all comes together. This is how God's plan is. This is the mystery. This is all. You don't see divisions. We see unity. That's how it's supposed to be. And experience this moral excellence, this perfection that caused these Jews, these Gentile believers to love one another. And then positionally, they are one in Christ. They are one. They are to love each other as one in Him. They love each other because of their love for Christ. Oh, how our prayer should be that that permeates around the world. Amen? Because we wouldn't have the divisions and the killings and the things that are going on today if you or everyone would, tra- would surrender their life and there would be a oneness in Christ. Oh, I can't wait, and I'm sure you as well, we can't wait for the day when Christ takes us home. Because there will be a oneness at one time. In the future, in eternity, there will be a oneness. And then Paul closes his prayer with a doxology. This praise to God. And he says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. The Holy Spirit working in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul praised God. The end of his prayer is all about a praise of God and what God is doing. He's praying and he's every word is this conveying this this to us this vastness of God's power that is found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Apart from him we can do nothing. Apart from Christ you can do nothing. And Paul has taken this the beginning of his letter here the first two chapters with the praise of god and for his great victory in christ he tells us that christ's power is so great as he arose from the dead and ascended far above all else we saw that in ephesians chapter one and then we he continued to teach us about his power so great and and how he's brought and reconciled the jews and the gentiles and the relationship and and formed this new one man, this new body, and there's oneness, and how awesome and powerful God is in there. And he, he's now building a temple to the eternal glory of God. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 2. He even mentioned, if you remember in, in chapter 3, verse 10, how even, the, even the, 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 no human or angel, fallen angel, good angel, didn't even know of the mystery of what God was doing and bringing in the Gentiles, Gentiles and Jews into the one body. And how they would be functioning as this one body. But Paul continued with God's power of love in each believer's life. And Paul was confident that believers would function and love one another in the power of Jesus Christ. But here in our scripture today, in these verses today, we see Paul emphasizes the fact that God is unlimited. He's above all that we ask or think. We are so limited in what we ask and think according to what God is able to do. We ask and we think of things that are so limited when God probably wants us to go even higher. Because it's oh. Is that what you're going to ask for? I was going to take you here, but if you want to stay right here, okay. But eventually, I'm going to take you where I want to take you. Above all things that we ask or think, the power of Christ, like the love of Christ, is beyond human understanding or measurement. And the Holy Spirit who releases the resurrection power of Christ in our lives will do a work and takes us to depths that you've never experienced if you allow them. And there's a word of caution when you read this. This is what God wants to do to pour out in our lives, but there's a word of caution here if you understand this. The question you should be asking is, what could hinder or cut off this power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Because God wants to pour his power into your life, into Christian life. But what could cut off that power? What could hinder that power? What could limit that power? And it's only through our unbelief. It is through unconfessed sin. It's through this careless living of this worldliness in our actions and our attitudes. All of these would rob you of the power of Christ working in your life. And all of these can rob us of this power and as a Christian robbed of this power cannot be used of God to the way he would like us to use us. When you grieve the Holy Spirit working in your life, you're robbing of the power that he wants to pour out into your life to do the work that he wants to do through your life according to his will and according to his calling on your life. That's why as we come to the table. We come to the table because we examine ourselves and say, Lord, if there's anything that's not of you, I want you to reveal it. Bring it back to light. Don't let me get escape by this. And let me confess it and surrender it and lay it at your feet today at the altar. Because I want nothing of this world or anything of my flesh or anything that of, the, of the, my own understanding and anything that would limit your power working in and through my life. And that's why we come to the table. Because he paid the penalty for that sin already. And we come to the table to remember of his grace and his mercy upon our lives. And he just wants us as children of his to just freely give it up. Just lay it at his feet. Let him have it. Surrender all. All. And he will fill you afresh. He will empower you for daily Christian living. To have victory. The other question you should ask is not what only what hinders his power working in your life, but why does God share his power with you? Is it so that you and I can go out and build great churches in our own glory? No. Is it so that you can have the power to go out there so you can boast of all of your achievements that God has done in and through your life? No. It is to Him be the glory in the church. The Spirit of God was given to the glory of the Son of God, John 16, 14. The church on earth is here to glorify the Son of God. That is our purpose. As you live a Christian life, it is to bring glory to what Christ is doing and living and growing through your life. That is it. Until he calls us home and takes us home into heaven, that is what we're living still today to do and that is it. It's to glorify the Son of God. If our modus is to glorify God by building his church, then God will share his power what we do today is preparing us as we saw in the scriptures is preparing us for the eternal ages when we will glorify Christ Jesus forever and you say how where does this go well Paul gives us the scriptures he is able God is able not just Get me through it. I can barely, the waves are coming up. I'm about, the waves are going to go. I, I'm not going to be able to breathe. I can't breathe every day. There's things going on in my life. God is able. God is able. And Paul says he's able above all. Abundantly above all. Exceedingly above, abundantly above all. Not just get you through so you're not gurgling. But lift you up above all these things. Far above that you ever imagined. You think you're just in survival mode. And God says, I'm not talking about survival mode. I'm talking about abundant living here. But the question is, will you let the Holy Spirit work in your life? Will you allow Him to dwell in your life? Will you go deeper in the Word of God and be rooted in be nourished by the word of God? Will you have such a solid understanding of the love that Jesus Christ has for you you're so grounded that nothing and no one, no situation, will shake you? And will you f- ultimately f- experience the depths of the fullness of God in your life? I pray today you'll go deeper. The question you and I must ask. And remember, remember James 4, 2? You do not have because you do not ask. Ask God to do a work, a new, fresh work in your life. If you're not saved today, ask Him to come into your life and and confess those sins and ask Him to come in and forgive you of those sins. Surrender your life and say, God, come in and take over my life. But if you're a believer, ask him to take you deeper in your relationship with him. Today, is Christ at home in your life? Does he feel comfortable and warm in your life? Or, is it, or do you live a life that goes contrary and makes him really uncomfortable dwelling in in your life. Let him do the work. Let him him work in your life. Let the Spirit of God empower you to to change. Today's a day. Trust him. Know without a doubt of his love, his sacrifice, and the cross for you. Because God loves you. And don't let anyone or the enemy convince you otherwise. You are precious in the sight of God and he has a purpose and a plan. You just trust him. Give your life over as we come to the table.